Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So, jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Ah, my friends, welcome back to another episode of The New Wave Entrepreneur. This is Daniel DiPiazza checking in with you. And uh, we have a really cool episode today, a very interesting episode. In fact, I I made a, I don't know, a small discovery. It's kind of a confession I want to make. You know, I had a podcast uh, that ran from 2017 to 2019, or just there, there about uh, two two or three years, and we did uh, just 100 episodes. And during that first podcast, which was originally called the Rich 20-something podcast and then the Daniel DiBiaza show, uh, we had some very, very, I would say deep episodes, things where, um, you know, the, the sentiments explored and the issues shared were really important. They changed my life. And, uh, I don't know. It was it was an interesting it was an interesting period in my life that I got to document, and I loved having that experience. I made some of my closest friends just through interviewing them on the podcast. In fact, I can't really speak about it. One of them is here with me right now, although that's a completely different conversation. And um, what I found is that uh, that I missed that show. And funny enough, I went to go listen to it one day because I hadn't heard my own episodes in a while, and I realized that show was no longer available online. That's right. Funny enough, user error, I switched bank accounts, and the bank account that was billing my old hosting was no longer connected, and my hosting actually ran out. The show was no longer streaming, and the provider had stopped storing the media. I thought I'd lost the episodes, and I had to say, you know, I um, I was pretending like I didn't care that much, but I was bummed about it. I was super bummed, and it was a lot of content, years of work. And it just wasn't available anymore. And um, it wasn't until recently that I found all the files, all the Dropbox, all the old show notes, all the things that uh, that we we done, the work that we done, my team and I had done, and it made me so happy. And so I decided to share some of these uh, these episodes with you. Now, the cool thing is you're going to be able to hear some of my evolution over the past few years, 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, you know, just a good a good dose of evolution, and you'll see the the change in who I am, hopefully, from then to now. And there'll also be a lot of things that are extremely relevant still today, and that's what's important. So we will be sprinkling these throwback episodes into this show. And for full access to all the throwback episodes, the entire catalog of uh, old episodes, you have to be a New Wave Premium subscriber. So go to newwaveentrepreneur.com to get that uh, monthly subscription and you'll get access to all the episodes we have plus all the new stuff we're doing just for members. That's a whole different conversation. Uh, today, the throwback episode is with Dr. Mark Golston, who is, uh, among many things, a hostage negotiator, a crisis negotiator, uh, a, a, a psychiatrist, um, someone who is a, a very well-experienced author, having been published in many different languages all around the world, including uh, being the category leader in several different areas of uh, popular psychology. He is a very interesting character, a good friend of mine. And um, something that happens on this podcast has never happened before or since on any show that I've ever hosted. So I think that you're going to find it quite revealing. Uh, It's relevant with what's happening today because Mark is specifically an expert in the art of listening, the art of listening. 
So if that is interesting to you, and if you think that the world could use more of that, then I think you're going to like today's episode. Now, before we hop in, the last thing is, uh, remember, now we are finally open. The Peak Performance Workshop uh, rolls out March 4th and 5th. This is for entrepreneurs and busy people, professionals who want to get more done in their life, who want to perform at a higher level, who want to get more productive, who want to create better habits, who want to delete ones that are holding them back, move to the top of your field, and overall move past feelings of anxiety, depression, self-doubt, fear, and all the things that hold us back from our peak performance. And if you are interested in that, I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, you can go to newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash peak, and you will get the early bird uh, ticket price. We're giving $100 discounts on early bird tickets plus offering uh, offering a buddy pass so you can bring a fan, family member or friend. Okay, that's it. That's the whole sale. That's the whole spiel. We'll get you this episode with Mark Golston. I'll check in with you in the mid-roll. Talk to you soon. What's up, guys? It's Daniel again. Welcome to the Rich Swinthering Podcast. We're on the air with Dr. Mark Goulston today, who's the author of many books. He's a prolific writer, but he's also a former hostage negotiator. He's a shrink. He's a business consultant, and he has a lot of really cool, interesting gems to drop on us. We just had an amazing lunch, and he's probably taught me more in the 30 minutes driving here in the car than I've learned in about 10 years of reading books on how to talk to people. So I can't wait to let you guys dig in. So, uh, Mark, how are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm Okay, so right off the bat, I want to just say that I think it's pretty interesting that someone would choose at least a good part of their life's work dealing with difficult people. Difficult people in really serious situations like hostage negotiation and suicide watch, difficult people in business and difficult people probably in your personal life or other people's personal lives. You've chosen the path of most resistance. Why would you do that? Well, it actually chose me. So I, I, <laughs> I grew up in a family and I was the youngest of three and everybody had sort of strong personalities. And if you went against some of those strong personalities, especially if you're the youngest, it didn't go that smoothly. So what, what happened is I learned how to co connect, deconstruct, defuse, work my way around that. And so I sort of did it a little bit out of how to find safety. Mm. And when I couldn't find safety, my secret hiding place was I would shinny up to the roof of our house, which wasn't the safe thing to do, but I would just sit <laughs> That's there. That's the opposite of safety. And, and I would look out and uh, say, well, you know, at least I have the stars. <laughs> uh, and so what happened is uh, then I went to medical school and, um, uh, and something happened in medical school, which kind of changed my life. I'm not very religious and I don't believe in God, but I believe in angels. And the reason being that when I was in medical school, uh, I dropped out of medical school twice, but I finished. I don't know. There's got to be a statistic on that. You most yeah, you would you be the anomaly. Yeah, yeah. And I and I didn't flunk out. I dropped out. And I think I hit sort of. As I look back, I think I hit a wall. I think I hit a depression. And uh, until so I dropped out the first time, went and worked in blue collar jobs. And so my mind was able to work at a blue collar level. What were you doing? Um, well, my favorite job was uh, this was in Boston was going to liquor stores and bars and i would put up the heineken windmill i'd put up the cray paper i'd climb up uh to the barkeep on the top i'd see <laughs> dead rat skeletons up there i loved it i loved it 
I mean, I would talk to these people. It was terrific. They gave me a van, which is very different than the intellectual stuff that was murdering my brain. Yeah, yeah. So my brain came back to about blue collar. I went back to med school. And then uh, after three months, the whole thing came back again, meaning I could read stuff. I'd highlight my books. They were all yellow, but I wasn't able to retain them or recall them. And so I grew up not, not an unusual childhood where you're only worth what you achieve in the world. If you don't achieve much, you're not worth anything. Mm. So it's not an unusual way to grow up in a lot of people's homes. So what happened is I hit the wall the second time. And so I was going to ask for another leave of absence. Miraculously, I wasn't failing, but I was going to ask for another leave of absence. And so I met with the dean of the school. And the dean of the school is about making, making sure they get funding. And every time you take a leave of absence, your, your seat goes empty and they lose matching funds. Mm. So, scary. Yeah, so I can understand the dean of the school you know, wants to get rid of me, cut his losses. And so I meet with him. And I don't think I'm in the good the best place in my life because again how old are you i must have been about 23 uh 24 and so again my mind is you're only worth what you can accomplish in the world and and let's say i came from you know someone of a rugged stern background which which emphasized that kind of philosophy so imagine this if you come from that background and you may know something like that you know from your own background with your own, own dad and things like that and so i meet with the dean of the school and uh, a couple uh, weeks later, I get a call from the Dean of Students, who's an Irish Catholic named uh, William McNary. Boston. This is in Boston. <laughs> and uh, he had a thick Irish accent, and his nickname was Mac. So I get a call from him. And he says, Mac, this is Mac, Mac, <laughs> this is Mac. Better get in here. Got a, <laughs> got a letter from the Dean. Better get in here. Okay, Mac. And so I go there, and I'm kind of at a low point. <laughs> You know, I don't know if you've ever been at these kind of low points, but you're just at a low point. So, so imagine this, that you're only worth what you can produce. And I read the letter, and the letter says, from the other dean, I met with Mr. Goulston, suggested another career, uh, perhaps the cello. <laughs> I'm, so I'm hereby advising the promotions committee that he be asked to withdraw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, what does this mean? And Mac says, you've been kicked out, Mac. <laughs> and so... Uh, and I'm not religious in the sense, I don't believe in God. I wish I did because I see the comfort that people have from that. But I do believe in angels because what happened next, to me, an angel came into my life and saved it. And you may actually see something happen in my face as I relive this with you. Hope that's okay. Uh, so uh, he says, you've been kicked up. And so I was too broken to... Uh, to be sarcastic as I could have been and said, they can't do that to me. I'm passing everything. It was like, uh, and also I didn't go boo hoo. What am I going to do? When he said it, I just paused. And then I felt like I, I just had a gunshot wound. And I know what a gunshot wound feels like. Cause I had a perforated colon about seven years ago, almost died. And so he says that to me, I hear it. I go, oh. and then in about 20 seconds, I'm feeling my eyes. And they're wet. I thought it was blood. It was tears. I'm looking like this. And so imagine this. Imagine what you're told. You know, you're only valuable, whatever. So he says this to me. He says, Mac, uh, you didn't screw up, but you are screwed up. But if you get unscrewed up, 
I think that one day this school will be glad they gave you another chance. So I, I start, my tears change to it's, it's like this kindness. It's like I, I, it's, I have trouble looking at you because I'm reliving it. And so imagine hearing this. He says, and even if you don't get unscrewed up, even if you don't become a doctor, even if you don't do another thing with the rest of your life, I'd be proud to know you because you have goodness in you and you have no idea how much the world needs that goodness and you're not going to know it till you're 35, but you have to make it till you're 35. <sighs> it was exactly. And I couldn't look at him. I'm having trouble looking at anything but down here because I'm reliving it. And he goes to me, says, Mark, look at me. Look at me. And I look up. And he said, you deserve to be on this planet. And you're going to let me help you. Do you understand? And so he arranged an appeal. And apparently, you know, they saw something of value in me and they gave me another leave of absence. Uh, but so how did this get on this journey? Well, what happened is I, I made it through med school, made it through uh, psychiatry training at UCLA, but I became a suicide expert uh, and a violence expert. Uh, and I didn't make the connection, but what happened is Mac, we called him, he was not only able to listen into me, he was able to lean into me and unlock my hopelessness. So I have a book called Just Listen became the topic on listening in the world. Um, it's in 18 languages. I speak on this thing around the world. I've spoken in India and uh, England. Uh, but there's one incident um, that will give you an idea of where I'm coming from. So you can see that I have to sort of, when you feel an angel's come into your life, you walk differently and you don't have any choice but to pay it forward. You don't have a choice. So what happened is in my practice, uh, I don't know what this has to do with uh, rich 20-something, except when I talk to those audiences, I say, how many of you know of someone who was suicidal, mentioned or committed suicide in your high school, college, uh, you know, in your community? This has a lot to do with, with our community because young people go through things that they, they never voice. It's a silent struggle. It's, it's totally. Yeah. And so when I, when I say that to audiences, what's interesting is if it's a business audience, like, what's he talking about this? And when I say, do you know what happens? The entire audience raises their hand that they knew someone like this. Yeah. And you can, you're just reliving it like, whoa, I can feel the, the audience flexes. And so what happened is uh, one of my early mentors was one of, the, um, one of the pioneers in the study of suicide. He studied the suicide prevention centers in Washington, Los Angeles, and he's at UCLA. And what he would do is uh, he would go up to the inpatient units when there were still suicidal people that had to be discharged. They just weren't acutely suicidal. You couldn't keep them there forever. Got it. So you had to discharge them. But in order to discharge them, someone had to be willing to see them in the community. And the residents didn't want to see them because they're suicidal. And a lot of psychiatrists over the years sent their suicidal people to me. I mean, you know, I, I'm afraid to see them if they're, if they're on the outside. Right. And so, so what would happen is they were still suicidal. They'd be released. But I knew I had a window. And I knew I could be innovative because, you know, everything that had been tried you know, been tried, but they're still suicidal. And so what, what I developed was this acute sensitivity to language and talking with people. 
Because if I talked clinical in an academic way, uh, they would smile at me and their eyes would say, nice, nice try, doc, but you missed. And so one of the most suicidal people I'd seen, we'll, we'll call her Nancy, she'd made four attempts over the last probably four years before I was seeing her. And I didn't think I was helping her. Um, but I was seeing her two, three times a week. She rarely talked. She wasn't catatonic, but she rarely talked. And I didn't think I was doing anything good, except that was long as she'd gone. And so when she'd come in, if you're me, and this is her, she'd be like this. She wasn't catatonic, but she didn't make eye contact. So I used to, in those days, moonlight at a state hospital. There's something called uh, Norwalk, Metropolitan State Hospital. And I'd go there on the weekends. You'd pick up some extra money. you cover for all the psychiatrists. And so I'd been up 36 hours. And when you're up 36 hours, and I'm sure everybody in this room has been through that, when you're up 36 hours or, or longer, your physiology does tricks with you, especially some of your sphincters all over your body. But I, you know, <laughs> I won't have to go there because you already know what I'm talking about. And your teeth are loose and all this sort of stuff. But your mind also, you think things that are different. So I'm there and she's like this. And suddenly all the color in the room turns to black and white. And I think, whoa. Now I'm young and I'm saying, this is kind of interesting, except I could be having a stroke or a seizure. That was the downside. <laughs> and I'm looking at, oh, it's black and white. And then, uh, and then I focused more. I said, ooh, uh, let me see what this is at. I think he's referring to magic mushrooms, friends. <laughs> well, I refer, actually, I told the story to, Saint, uh, to the uh, uh, minister, St. John the Divine in Manhattan. He said, you went into the dark night of the soul. Yeah. So what happened is I'm looking and it gets cold and chilling. And I do a neurologic exam on myself because I'm a doctor. I'm going like this. I'm going like this. You're examining yourself like, to make sure I'm that you're like, uh -huh, uh -huh. and, uh, and And she's like this. And I'm saying, well, I'm all here. No stroke, no seizure. Uh, uh, and then I thought, I think I am looking at the world through her eyes and feeling what she feels. Wow. And so I leaned into it. That's fucking scary. And this, this will give you the chills. And I lean into it. And I'll bet you can resonate with me. And I just felt this coldness, darkness. And when I looked, it was, it was the dark night of the soul. And because I was sleep deprived, this is what I said. Because normally I would have kept it to myself. And you're me. And she's like this. And I said, Nancy. Uh, I didn't know it was so bad, and I can't help you kill yourself. But if you do, I will still think well of you. I'll miss you. And maybe I'll understand why you had to to get out of this pain. And then I thought to myself, did I think that or did I say that? And I thought, <laughs> I've, I've had that I just gave her permission. And I remember saying, don't write that in the record. <laughs> Strike write. this. And I thought, I'm screwed. And so that's the first time she looks at me. And she looks at me like I'm looking in, like I'm looking in your eyes and I'm holding on to your eyes right now. I can hold on to your eyes and I can take them wherever they are. And that's what she did. You got back to me though. And I said, what are you thinking? She looked right through me. And by the way, when she did that, I realized I had it right. She said, if you can really understand um, why I might need to kill myself to get out of this pain, maybe I won't have to. 
And then she smiled and she gave up her suicidality. And, um, and she became a PhD and has some kids. But, 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 <laughs> but, but I, you just, just toss that out there. <laughs> but, but what happened is I learned to listen to people from their inside out. Wow. And I have a personal mission for the world. It's called Healing the World One Conversation at a Time. Wow. And in, in Just Listen, part of what I talk about is how you can, uh, how you can talk uh, over people, at people, to people, and with people. And you know you're doing it by their body posture. And when you get good at this, you can tell it in the tone on the phone. And when you talk with people, and your whole purpose is for them to open up and you will never hurt them, take advantage of them, do a bait and switch. And if you're in sales, you want a lifetime uh, customer, this can work. I'll give you an example. Um, these stories are okay? They're perfect. They're perfect. Okay, so um, that's kind of a cool story. Um, so there's a Fortune 500 Fortune 50 CEO that everyone knows. And so I was doing some interviews on leaders, uh, uh, where, you, where you learn to be successful. And so he calls me, someone introduced me to him because I blogged for the Harvard Business Review and said, you'll like this guy. He's a level five leader. And if you ever heard of the book, Good to Great, Level Five, yeah, with these yeah. humble, terrific people, you know, they don't, you know, they don't puff themselves up. And he was one of them. So he calls me on the phone and he, uh, uh, and and you probably know some people who are shy, technological, but they try to sound cool. Yeah. So I get this call on the phone. Joe. Yeah. So I get this call on the phone, and we'll call him Jack. That's not his name. And I pick it up. He says, Dr. El Marco. <laughs> what? <laughs> Dr. El Marco. What is this? And then he tells me his name, and I go, it's him. It's him. Uh, if this is so-and-so, and I'm pretty quick on my uh, feet. And I said, Dr. El Jacko, how are you? And he said, well, I'm okay. I'm not a flaky person. I agreed, you know, that uh, you could talk to me and I didn't get back to you. And that's not me. And so I'm, uh, uh, I'm heading out of town and then I'll come back and I'll see you. And, you know, I, I have different kinds of conversations. I say, where are you going? He said, I'm going to New York. I said, business, family? He says, we both. I said, we'll talk about business when you come back. Tell me about your family. Well, I got a mom. She's got Alzheimer's. She's really stoic. She's doing a job on her. Sometimes she's in, sometimes she's out. My father takes care of her, and then my sister helps out. And, and he goes on and on. And so here, you know, I'm, I'm this little pishock talking to this uh, guy. And, I, and so imagine this. You know, he's saying these things, but I'm getting a feel because I'm listening into him. And I said, uh, uh, Jack? Uh, I have a direct order for you. What? I have a direct order. What? I said, Listen, it's a direct order. <laughs> um, there is no joy in your home now. What happens is when your mom, from the way you described her, when she's aware of what she's lost, she's incredibly depressed, but she's stoic. She doesn't want to tell anyone how bad she feels. And then... Uh, when she's out of it, it's hell for your father and your sister. So here's what I'm asking you to do. And it's in my book, Just Listen, and it's something that I call the magical paradox. Uh, and you'll see why it works. Uh, 
if she's lighter, what I want you to say to her is, uh, Mom, uh, I'll bet you sometimes wish it were all over. Isn't that true? Now, you haven't said the D word, you know, but uh, because she wants someone to know that she wants to die, but she doesn't want to upset your father, your sister, or you. And, uh, and if she does, if you're on track, she will start to cry and she will lighten. How, how, how did you get this, is this a natural intuition or is this part of medical training? Well, it, I mean, well, the- it's because of going inside out. And I'm actually going to do a lot of that on you, a little of that on you. Right. And people, you'll like it, you'll like it. Trust me, it's good radio. Um, uh, and so I said, you're going to say that to her and she may cry, you may cry, and she will lighten. She won't lose the Alzheimer's, but she'll lighten. And then what you should say is, and I'll bet you sometimes feel that you can't keep doing this much longer. Is that true? And the phone is totally dead. And I thought, well, he blew me off. And I was giving him an order. I said, are you there? Are you there? He said, and I pulled over to the side of the road and I wrote everything down. He said, so, you know, a month later, I see him. I'm in his office. And, you know, I get a little bit of the ADD type of thing. And we have this. And he's shy. And we have a good conversation. And we're talking about other stuff. And so there's a shy guy. And so he says, by the way, I don't know if you remember the car conversation we had. I went, oh, yeah, I'm <laughs> Did sorry. I go to overstep my boundaries there? No, no, I'm sorry. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, the thing about your mom. And then in the same way I, as I looked at Nancy, he looked at me and he said, I did exactly what you told me to do. And she did exactly what you said she would do. Thank you. And he took my hand in two hands and he walked me out to my car to get more time. Wow. So as you can imagine, I think we're lifelong friends. Yeah. But the point is you can do this if you're in sales. Now, granted, when you're new in sales, you got to dot the I's, you got to cross the T's, you got to push for numbers. Uh, often you have someone in your back who's not, you know, you know, you know, did you close anything and such and such. And so you may learn this thing over time, but I am telling you, you, uh, if you can learn how to do this early on, uh, I'm not a persuasive person. I don't think I've done any persuading in this interview, but I'm highly influential. And people lean into being influenced. They lean away from being persuaded. You know, I had a similar, uh, similar experience. Probably don't know who he is because I just found out about him. This is maybe a year, maybe six months ago. He's this... Uh, this Nordic guy, his name is Wim Hof, and his his whole his whole uh, thing in life is he's his name is the Iceman, and he does all these amazing feats of physical endurance. So he's had a couple of different world records for um, being submerged in you know sub zero temperatures, and um, he'll do different experiments on his body where they'll inject poison into his bloodstream, and he can physically control his adrenaline response to nullify the poison, things of this nature. Um, but he had a simple exercise, um, similar to some of the simple questions that you ask or some of the simple directions that you give to your patients, your clients, your students. Um, but he has a simple exercise where it's a, it's a breathing exercise. And the whole idea is you, um, you're basically hyperventilating yourself. And when you hyperventilate your own lungs enough, when you then hold your breath, you can retain more oxygen, you become hyper oxygenated, 
And, um, and the immediate effect, even if you've never trained this skill before, is that you can hold your breath for two to three times longer. I did this one time, this is six months ago. I tried without any type of technique first, hold my breath for 45 seconds before I was gasping for air. Try the technique one time. The first time I tried it, I hold, held my breath for two minutes and 20 seconds, which I'd never done before. Mm. I'd never met this guy, never known him from Jack. He showed me one simple thing and it worked so well that I immediately bought his course and whatnot without, without him trying to, without him persuading me. And he became so influential that I was drawn to the things he said because what he showed me even in simple exercises worked so well. And I think that this is what, what you told the CEO, what you told Nancy, they weren't revolutionary things. They were just the elephants in the room. They were just the truth, but they were seen through the eyes of the person who was being the, the most affected. And we don't often take the opportunity, we don't take the time to look at things from the inside out of the person who we're actually trying to impact. We look at things at best, usually, with empathy or from our perspective. And we try to do this thing where we morph our perspective into theirs. It's like, it's like trying to project what they might be thinking, but still from our perspective, and it doesn't work. And we wonder why we have all these, these gaps in communication. We wonder why, I mean, this happens in romantic relationships a lot, you know, because like we say we're understanding, but really we have a point and agenda we're trying to get across. It's, it's sales, but without, without the understanding, without the compassion. So I can see how this would be so relevant. Um, have you found that it works just as well? The idea of the idea of seeing things from the inside out of others. Have you seen, have you found it works just as well for business context as it does for personal therapeutic, medical interventional context? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'll give you a tip that, that you can use. Um, uh, but I want to try something on you. Yeah. So we have time. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> Which you want to go first, the business thing, or should we do the uh, thing? Let's do, let's do the personal thing first, or the other thing. Okay, so I mean, do you ever share your background or anything? Yeah, Does anyone I, know about that? And they, your, they, your upbringing and the there's parents? pieces. There's pieces. We haven't done a whole segment on it, but there's pieces I sprinkle. But I'm happy to share anything. Okay, well, we'll test the water. Okay, we'll up. test the waters. Okay, so, so so something that you shared with me is that your parents uh, uh, got married after 19 years, right? And you didn't have much of a relationship with your father, right? Up until that point. At that point. So here's what I'd like you to try, and you're going to report back to me. Okay. You're going to report back to me. Oof. I want you to contact your father. And for all of you on the outside, uh, if there's anyone in your life who, uh, you know, you're angry at, still holding on, first of all, you have to ask yourself, if they're evil, cut your losses, stay away from them. But if they're not evil, they're just flawed. People who are flawed, you got to cut them slack. That's the thing. If they're evil, stop them, protect others from them, uh, uh, or cut your losses. But if they're flawed, you got to cut them slack. So this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to reach out to your father and say, uh, when would you have a few minutes because I, uh, there's a, I owe you an apology? He's going to say, what? And I wouldn't do it just then, you know, let us, let us imagine. And, and by the way, there is a power to unsolicited apologies that is unbelievable. I wrote a, uh, if you go to Harvard Business Review, HBR, and look up Goulston, and I think it's Olive Branch on steroids. And I talked about the power of an unsolicited apology. And what's sad in this world is there is not a small number of people who have never been apologized to in their entire life. 
So you're going to reach out to your dad. He's going to say, what's this about? He said, no, I just got clear about something. And it's, you know, it's not going to get us into trouble. But when you had a moment, I just want to speak to you. And you can do it that time. But I, I like letting people's imagination go crazy because then you get their undivided attention. And then what you say to him is, I want to apologize for holding a grudge against you for many years because you were doing the best you could with what you had, and I judged you. And uh, you were doing the best with what you had, and I judged you. And I just wanted to say I'm sorry, because I know there's times in my life when I haven't done too well and probably disappointed other people. And uh, and just for the record, I wanted to say uh, I was wrong. It will free you. I'll tell you, I was on a plane with a big muckamuck, and I didn't know it was a muckamuck, but it was a muckamuck who had a pretty good uh, reputation. So you don't want to get on a plane next to me. You know, Take a good look at me. If I'm in a seat next to you, find another seat. Uh, so I'm with him, and I get to know him. And he's really well-regarded in his industry. But, you know, I listen into people. I just pick something into you. I can see you're a little quiet now. Yeah. Uh, and I said, uh, uh, Something eating away at you. Look, I'm a shrink, and I'm not going to tell anyone. You know, I have a little bit. I have ADD and Alzheimer's. I'll forget it after the plane ride. Uh, and he said, "Well, you know, I, I resent my uh, I resent that I was poor and resent my father." I said, "But it propels you to a great success." He said, "Well, you know, he had a business, and then it didn't didn't happen, and then he never got back on his feet." And he said, "Is he alive?" "No, no, he's dead." And we're going to Washington. And I said, what are you doing in Washington? He said, well, I got an event to do, uh, but I grew up in Washington. He said, really? Uh, I said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the cemetery, which he hadn't visited in years. I want you to clean off his name. Uh, and I want you to look at him and apologize for holding a grudge against him because he did the best with what he had and you judged him for being afraid and not being able to get past it. And you've had fear because, uh, from what you told me in your career, you've had a few of those hiccups. Uh, and I want you to go and do that, and I want you to then kiss his name on the gravestone. See, you don't want to sit next to me, I'm telling you. Uh, and, and so, trips over. He has a funny spelling on his name. So I reach out to him the next week, and I thought it was like the uh, you know the the guy in the car. You know, I I must have offended him. And then I got the right spelling right. When I sent it to him, I said, "Oh, oh, you know, uh, I got your spelling wrong. Uh, how'd the trip go? You know, oh, oh, by the way, did you, did you do the little exercise?" He's a very busy guy, and he said, uh, uh, "Did exactly what you said. Changed everything. Too much to talk about. When can we meet?" I want to make a phone call right now on the air. We'll see if we can get, you know, this is, there's a, there's a phone call I need to make based on what you just said. So I haven't talked about this on the, uh, on the, on the air yet, uh, or on the blog or anything, but, uh, yeah. Um, my grandmother died last week, you know, Joe, the one that we were talking to in the car, 65 years old. And, uh, it's a really big deal for my family because she's kind of the matriarch or she was and um you know i i'm just you know it's i didn't i didn't plan on talking about it publicly yet this soon but i you know i i guess now i am and 
there's been a lot of family fallout because of this, because of just various things that weren't said. She was, she was like, she was sick, but not terminally sick. She just had like a bunch of different things going on with her. Like you sometimes do when you get older, but nothing that was going to kill her. Um, but she'd been sick for a while and she was in a wheelchair. And so there was a lot of resentment that had built up. I think in part because people don't like caring for others when it revolves, when it involves a lot of effort and time. And eventually the family over the past decade had just gotten, I think, tired of looking out for her. Some people had her, especially her siblings. And so, and she's the oldest one. So it caused a lot of bad blood. And so her, her three brothers, my three uncles, great uncles, I guess. um, My mom and I feel that they really, they really dropped the ball when it, when it came to, um, to like honoring her. Because, you know, she wasn't always easy to deal with, but she's still their sister and she's still our mother, my grandmother. And when she died last week, um, she had all her stuff in her house. And this is a woman who's extremely well read. And she, I mean, small one bedroom apartment, 3000 books alone. And it was a backbreaking amount of work physically, but just extremely emotional. And we wanted to have the whole family there helping us in this serious time. And her brothers, we felt blew us off. One of her brothers, John, who's an identical twin brother to Bill, John did come by for a few hours and his, his, uh, he can't, it was, it was kind of a drive by appearance in my opinion, because my great grandparents were still alive in their nineties, his parents were expecting him to go. And he went, he made an appearance and he did some lifting a little bit. He packed a few boxes and he took some things that he wanted and he left. And when I went to my great grandparents' house later that, that night, you know, I had some really harsh words for him. I said some really mean things that I meant at the time that I meant at the time. I said, look, you're a fucking coward. Like you didn't show up. You didn't, you didn't play your role. I'm fucking done with you. Like as a family, we're fucking done. Fuck you. And, um, I did mean that at the time and I am disappointed in him, but I think I was judging him too hard because his two other brothers, first of all, didn't show up at all. He did at least show up. And, uh, and he still lost his sister. So there's still pain there, but I guess I wasn't giving him, I, I wanted him to like either grieve the way that I was grieving or I don't know if I expected him to like, I don't know if there's like a. I just felt like he wasn't doing enough because I felt like we were all doing the most we could. And he was doing the least he, could, he had to do to get by to just the least amount of support he had to give. But anyway, I ripped into him. Um, and I don't think that's the right thing to do. Okay. So can I give you a couple tips since, yeah. since this is real, this yeah. is raw and real. Yeah. Um, if you're going to call him or leave him a message, and if you're watching or listening and you do this, don't get attached to the result yeah, because the yeah, other yeah. person can rip you back and, and yeah. whatever. But if you do it in the spirit that you're going to do it, and I'm going to give you the five steps that you go through, that's the olive branch on steroids. Afterwards, it doesn't matter what the other person says because you'll say, I can't be more gracious. I can't be more decent. I can't be more classy than what I just was. It's gravy if they respond. If they don't, you get to walk away being classy. And I don't mean that in the arrogant way. So if you look up Harvard Business Review, Olive Branch uh, on steroids, my name. So the five steps of an unsolicited apology. 
And so maybe you'll just do the first part of it if you don't get them. But the first thing is you reach out to someone uh, and you leave them a message and say, hi, this is uh, so-and-so. Uh, when you have a few minutes, there's something I need to apologize to you. And if you're willing, uh, I'd like to do that. So you reach out to them. That's the first step. Second step is uh, when you get them on the phone, what you say to them is, uh, 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 when we went through what we did, I didn't make any effort whatsoever to understand where you were coming from. I made no effort. The third step, which is the olive branch on steroids, uh, is to say, um, uh, I not only didn't I understand, I didn't want to understand. All true, by the way. I know it's true. Yeah. I didn't want to understand because I wanted to just be pissed at you. And the next step is, and I want to tell you I'm sorry because you were doing the best in the situation and I didn't know where you were coming from. And the final step is, if you'll give me the chance to fix this, let me know where you were coming from and how you're doing. All right, let's do it. Okay, so let me write down these five steps so I can... First is, okay, first step. Uh, hi, this is me. Uh, uh, when you have a chance, I I'd like to speak to you for five minutes because I believe I owe you an apology. Mm -hmm. Second, uh, when you get them on the phone, the, what you, the second step is, uh, when this all went down and I reamed you, I didn't make any effort to understand where you were coming from with regard to this. Mm -hmm. The third step, which is the olive branch on steroids, it's really what I call uh, bearing your neck really deeply. And, and the truth of the matter is, I didn't want to understand where you came from. I just wanted to be angry. The fourth step is to say, uh, I was wrong. I'm sorry. And the fifth step is, if you're willing to do it, uh, and tell me where you were coming from, where you're at now. Tell me anything. I'd like that, and I'll listen. Now, what does this have to do with sales? I don't know. <laughs> it has something to do with influence. Should, should we do it now? Should we do it on the air? Uh, well, uh, yeah, we can. I wanted to give some sort of a, a sales tip that yeah. people would like, but this is this is this is real. This is yeah, like this, this is, is real. This is this is. I mean, we can always we talk about sales a lot. We can talk about sales anytime. Okay. Yeah. This is this is the this is the Michael Jackson moonwalk. Yeah. This is the moonwalk. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> oh man. He might not answer. He's probably not going to answer. I hope he doesn't answer. I can't handle it. Well, if you want to look, you could email him. I don't think you I, look. I don't think your listeners are going to think you. No, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I get in the first step. Hello? 
Hey, John. Yes. Hey, it's Daniel. Daniel, how you doing? <laughs> how are you, man? I'm all right. You okay? Yeah, man. I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to apologize to you for something. Is that okay? You know, when we had our little, our scuffle, uh, this weekend, man, I just, I just made no effort to, to understand where you were coming from. And to be honest with you, I didn't want to understand because I was just angry, you know? And, uh, you know, that was wrong and I'm sorry for that. And, uh, if you, if you, if you're willing to talk about it, you know, where you're at now and just kind of what you're feeling and what you're thinking, I'm, I'm ready to listen. What are you doing here? You know, and what have you done for me lately? Yeah, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, it was very hard to be around her because sometimes she, you know, she would be just very ugly about things. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you know, I I, I would text her and talk to her and stuff. But you know, I wasn't out in California, so I, I don't know. Um. You know what truly happened? And I know Dana's my sister, and I know she's a grandmother. But you know, I know Dana also embellishes. And manipulates, and she lies. Totally. You know. Yeah, totally. And so, I mean, I don't know. Um, you know, she's very, you know, tough to, to deal with. And uh, so, I, mean, I really don't know what happened out there. I talked to Angela about it, and and uh, I know, you know, Bill gets you know headstrong about it. You know, so can Eric. But I just, to me, I was thinking. I wasn't out there. I, I, I don't know what really truly happened. Um, you know, so I shouldn't, you know, pass judgment by saying that, you know, that you didn't go over there because Angel said that you did go over there to see Grandma. But, you know, yet on the other hand, she didn't want you near there or was, you know, hurting your feelings and saying some rotten things to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, but yet when she, Dana was the one that would, you know, take this, take these messages home and say, they threw me out like a bag of, we like, you know, like trashed. <laughs> so dramatic and yeah. untrue, by the way, untrue, uh, untrue. Cause I mean, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, but, but she, she liked to play, you know, conductor with all the elements and there's elements. I mean, you know, I love her, but there's elements of truth there and there's also elements of fantasy. And, uh, so it's, it's, but it's not like we weren't trying as hard as we could, you know? Yeah, I know, I know. We all just tried harder, but, you know, it's difficult with your energy, you know? Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah. You know, I don't know what happened out there, but I do know Dana's hard to get along with. Yeah, I mean, I, I, gotta go, I gotta go now. I wanna talk more about it, but I just wanna, okay. just wanna apologize, and let me call you tomorrow, and we'll just catch up, okay? All right, right, man. I love you. All right, bye. Bye. All right, it worked. What'd you think? (sighs) It was hard, man. It was really hard, but it feels feels better. Worth it. Worth it. It was worth it. I had to do that. Yeah. Um, I talked to uh, I talked to my mom today, and she's like, you know, I think you should apologize to John because, like, I get where you come from, but that wasn't the right thing to do. And she was right, you know. So, and she was more mad than I was. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for that. Hey, you're welcome. Yeah.
Why don't, why don't we lighten it up a little yeah. bit? Because uh, <laughs> we'll we'll add we'll uh, we'll we'll edit that and make it not so so okay. dark. So, but here, here's a here's a tip that you can use from understanding where people are coming from. Yeah. Um, uh, this is especially true if you're a company and you're wanting to get money, significant money, out of a male who's 45 or older. Yes, that's exactly what Investors. I want. Investors. Wait, in, in what way? Well, uh, you know, because they've accumulated that money. But if, if, you're, if you're trying to sell something, like a company, to men who are 45 and over, something you need to know about men who are 45 and over, they're more bothered with making another mistake and feeling foolish than getting another win. Because what happens to us guys is our worth is tied to how competent or incompetent yeah, we are. Totally. And there's a cumulative effect of all the things we've messed up. We often don't talk to other men because we think that they're better than us. We, we try not to talk to our spouses because we want them to admire us. We can't imagine they will. So there's a cumulative effect of all the things we've messed up uh, and it eats away at us. So if you're dealing with someone um, it may may be going on. It may not be going on. This might be you know taking it one shrink too far. But uh, but if you're with someone and you're trying to pitch them, and you know and they know that they need what you have, and you've answered all their questions, and you've asked for any of their objections, you've answered all of those, uh, and uh, and you know that they need it, but they're just not going. Here's something you can try. Take this with a grain of grain of salt. What you might say to that person is, can I ask you a hypothetical question? And hopefully they'll say yes. Uh, and you've got to get off your sales transactional thing, and you say to them, you've been burned before, haven't you? And they're going to go, what? Yeah, you've, you've believed in something, trusted something, thought something would work out, and it didn't. I've been there too. You don't want to shame them, say, I get everything right and you're the idiot. Uh, no, I've been there too. And I'm guessing that there were some hits you took where when you finally made it through it, you said, I can't go through that again. I cannot go through that again. And is it possible that everything makes sense, but there's something about this that is reminiscent of a previous uh, product, service, company that is triggering a flashback of, uh, I don't know. And it may have nothing to do with what we're discussing, but maybe what it's unearthing is this is getting close to making a decision that I could regret. And is it possible that you're like all of us? Again, you don't want to shame them. Say, is it possible that uh, your hesitation is that you don't want to go through something that was pretty traumatic to you? Now, it may not always play, but if it does play, it's kind of like what I did with that, uh, that CEO but his mother, with Nancy. Uh, I think the five-step apology, you track completely with the hesitation. And if you're purely transactional, you're going to, well, well, what didn't I answer? So, so why can't you make a decision? Uh, or you have to check with other people. But what happens is you, you get nasty, you get feisty. But can you see how that's a way of listening to people from their inside out? 
but given my story, you know, that I, you know, I got to pay it forward for this angel who came into my life. Um, uh, it's a nice, it's, you know, it's, it's not a big money maker, but, you know, hopefully I'll make it and meet him someday. But, um, uh, but if you get people to open up, you can't do a bait and switch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just can't because if they, if you do a bait and switch, they deserve to come after you with the uh, holy hell yeah. because you got them to open yeah, up. You can't do you that. You got them to trust you. And then you, uh, uh, whatever you, you can't say, pull side, the rug out. That's right. You can't, right. you can't say, have you been burned before and say, I understand and then burn them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, and by the way, um, if you get into that conversation and you're aligned with what I'm saying, what you can say is, well, going forward, uh, we hit hiccups in the road uh, and we may hit even bad news. Going forward, the way we deal with bad news is we realize we're the expert and what you really want us to do is to dig down and look at all the options, all the solutions, uh, what makes sense. And so uh, uh, since bad news is... Uh, unavoidable. That's how we deal with bumps in the road going forward. Uh, and also, we find out from people like you, in the event going forward that we hit a bump in the road or there's bad news, what's what's the best way for you for us to tell you about it? Yeah. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Now, I don't know exactly when the editing team is going to drop this little bit in. Uh, if you've gotten to the part that I am so excited about with this episode, then you'll know why I recommended you listen to it today. And if you haven't, well, then keep listening. And uh, by the way, as you're listening, make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to, whether this is Spotify, iTunes, or you're watching on some random player that I don't even know exists. Make sure you subscribe so that you know when I drop new updates and make sure you are doing me the honor and the pleasure of leaving a review and leaving a comment. It helps the platform grow. And we know that we're here not just for the content, not just for the media, but we're building a team here. We're building a family. We're building a group. We're building a movement of people who are looking to do something more than just sit around. We're looking to actually create some changes that starts with you and then you tell someone else and then they do it. All right. So help me help you help them. Thank you. Now back to the episode. That's, that's very, uh, what got you here won't get you there type mm -hmm. of analysis right. and self self-awareness. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I mean, doesn't a lot of this fall under the context of self-awareness? Um, because the greater your self-awareness, the greater awareness you have of how other people might be feeling. Oh, totally. You know, um, here's something, maybe we'll do another podcast uh, about, uh, um, I'm not just into ending violence, hatred, and fear. My last living mentor was a guy named Warren Bennis. Warren Bennis, if you look him up, he was one of the top three people in leadership in the world. He was at USC, died a couple of years ago. And Warren shared with me, because we got pretty personal, that he felt disappointed in himself because he was a global thought leader. And globally, leadership is getting worse. Just look around you. And so he felt that he hadn't done enough. He created little islands of goodness. And so there's an initiative I'm trying to do where I'm building a critical mass basically the Nelson Mandela's and Warren Venice's of all these people, because they're islands of goodness. I want to bring them together 
There's a site that's offered me their site called ExecuNet, which has 750,000 executives and vice presidents. They say, you want to build this critical mass on top of us. We'll do it. Challenge is, uh, it's not in their budget, so I've got I've to raise a half a million dollars. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm the serial creator, angel kind of person. <laughs> uh, but if we get the funding, it, it's such a clean thing. But here's the latest takeaway, because I, I blog a lot on the uh, on leadership and may, may be doing a program with one of the big, big tech companies about leadership. To me, here are the four qualities of the best leader. Uh, and I aspire to them and I fall short. The first one is being unflappable. The second is being present. The third is being knowledgeable. The fourth is being wise. Unflappable doesn't mean shut down like Mitt Romney. Unflappable means that you're dedicated to a mission that's more important than you and your personal whatever. Uh, and it's kind of like what I said about Colin Powell. He was dedicated to, you know, if you're going to elect me uh, president or whatever, you can come against me, but don't you, don't you come against my wife. And so you're unflappable because you have a clear sense of mission and purpose. Uh, present is very interesting. It means you have to have a little bit of emotional intelligence so that you don't minimize what's important to other people. But when you're connected to a mission, what you can say is, I know that's important to you. I know that's the most important thing to you, but we owe this to our clients. We owe this to our customers. We're on a deadline and we can't do anything that uh, distract from that. We'll get that taken care of at another time or we'll work after hours when the team's not here, but we're going to have to put that to the side. So that's the presence I'm talking yeah. about. Uh, so it's a caring presence, but you're dedicated to your mission. Knowledgeable means when people listen to you, they say, this, this guy or this woman, they know their stuff. They know their stuff. And wise is they know what's important. They know what's worth fighting for. They know what's worth not fighting for. And so I'm aspiring to those. And, uh, uh, and I mean, I think companies bring me, so I, I advise people on how to become that kind of leader. And I'm getting, I'm being like a grumpy old man because when I see people who are just, I don't know, just too selfish. Yeah. You know, I, I can only work with people that I root for. Well, you know, it makes a good transition and this is a good way to close it because we were talking earlier today at lunch about a new concept that you've been developing and you're calling it hacking Steve Jobs. When we talk about visionary leaders, certainly he falls into that category and I'm not sure if he satisfies those four criteria that no, you just- No, he doesn't, but this you know, is a great formula I didn't get to give. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about that now? Yeah, can we do that? Yeah, please. You know, because you know, I, I, you know, you may never want to see me again after I, uh, you know, after <laughs> I, I know you just you... after I did this high colonic on you right, uh, with right. your ancestry. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, I used to hack into people, as I've hacked into you. Yeah. Uh, and so I learned to hack into uh, people into their future, and so I've been giving talks to groups of entrepreneurs and uh, CEOs uh, about uh, how to look at the world through Steve Jobs' eyes, how to look at your world. And what happened is I got sick and tired of persuading people. I mentioned that to you. And, uh, and so I gave a talk that went over pretty well, but I was persuading. So I said, I'm done with this stuff. I'm done with trying to persuade anyone. So I got very good grades from this group of entrepreneurs and CEOs. And the person who has nine of these groups said, oh, you'll talk to another group. I said, yeah, but I'm not going to talk about that because I'm done with persuading. 
And so what I came up with is if I could create gotta have it, you don't have to persuade anyone. If I gotta have it, you don't have to persuade them. So I gave a talk to this group and I got all fives, never got all fives. And someone said, you just figured out the secret to Apple. And they said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, when people line out outside the door for a new product, what are they thinking? I gotta have it. Mm -hmm. So I gave it to another group, all fives. And, and then someone said, you just figured out the secret of Steve Jobs. So that made it sexier. So I call it hacking Steve Jobs, uh, secret, uh, the thinking like a disruptor. But here are the four steps. So for all of you who, you know, we'll, we'll have to timestamp it because there's a lot of people say, oh, that, yeah, yeah. That, that the first 90% was too touchy feel. <laughs> we'll timestamp it, but there will be plenty Get of Get away from me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You put in hacking Steve Jobs. Yeah. Put a highlight on that because yeah, uh, yeah. other That's people. That's what we'll title it. Good. Other people are yeah. going to trash the first yeah. 90%. Um, <laughs> savages. Savages. Uh, okay. So here's the key and here are the four elements and see if you can recognize them and I'll tell you what they are. So when I do this presentation, I, I show a video of Steve Jobs when he's talking in the last interview about visiting Xerox Park. Yeah, I see that one. And so in this one minute, this is what he says, and I'll tell you what the secret is. And you've got to recreate this. Because when he went to Xerox Park, he looked at what he saw the same way as Apple customers look at Apple products. So he said something basically like this. We went there and... Uh, I was blinded by the first thing I saw. I didn't even see the other two things. They showed me these other two things. Uh, I didn't even see those. What I saw was the graphical user interface. That's the first step. It was the best thing I'd ever seen in my life. That's the second step. You know, it was flawed and it was quirky, but it worked and it worked very well. That's the third step. And then the last thing he says is, and within 10 minutes of seeing that, let me see if I can get this. Uh, and within 10 minutes of seeing that, I knew that all computers would work that way someday. And I get into you know, tone and I say his voice goes down some, to someday because he's reliving the moment when he went from hustler to visionary. And what he saw is graphical user interface, simple, reliable. And we already make stuff that's beautiful. We're going to own the B to C market. And that's what he did. So what are the four steps? The four steps are, whoa, I didn't even see the other things. I was blinded by the first thing. Whoa means I can't believe what I just saw, heard, or read. For all you marketers out there, any customers or clients, they have to have that reaction because they all have got ADD. They've got all this stuff. you got to break into their mind. So whatever they see, Whatever they hear, whatever they read has to cause uh, them to go, I can't believe what I just saw, heard, or read. Uh, second, wow, wow, uh, was the best thing I'd ever seen in my life. That's astonishing. That's amazing. That's unbelievable. So you've got to create whoa, wow in this you know, nanosecond attention span uh, uh, time where then, hmm. This is too good not to use. I don't know how I'm going to use it, but this is too good not to use. And you know, uh, it was flawed, but it worked, and it worked very well. Then, yes, when everything comes together, yes. And within 10 minutes, I knew that all computers would work this way someday. So I actually have a site called the Goulston Group. If you go there, our, our tagline is creating gotta have it. And so when I give these talks, go to your marketing people, uh, say, what is the stuff that our customers, clients, what are people reading? And do they go, whoa, wow? 
And if they don't, fix it. And and, and companies bring us in because, you know, we, we discovered it. I mean, and, and we can draw that out of people. And uh, uh, So I'm going to end with this. I'm going to reverse it. Rich 20-something. Yeah. What was your whoa, wow, hmm, yes moment when you said, I got this? It was a whoa, a wow, a hmm, and a yes. Fill us in. I was sitting in my uh, in my apartment. This was in, uh, this is in Atlanta, Georgia. This is circa 2012. So this is about four years ago. And I was, uh, I was, I was doing, I was freelancing. I was, I had a, a tutoring business and uh, I thought to myself, you know, as I was doing this tutoring, uh, this is going pretty well. And I've been writing about it. People have been, have been receptive to this and it's gotten a lot more traction than I thought it would. Maybe I should start Maybe I should start doing this on a regular basis. And I said, "Whoa, maybe there's maybe there's a there's value in me talking about this all the time, you know." And then I started looking online. This happened over a period of like probably day, probably days or weeks that I had to, "Whoa, wow, you know, hmm, got it." Um, the next kind of phase in that was seeing that there were other people already doing this, so it wasn't impossible for me to make a living as a thought leader and. Uh, and make a living creating a, a digital empire. That's wow, this is a real thing. And only probably only at between 2000 since 2008 has this probably been possible. Before that not. So, wow, this is possible. I said, "Hmm, I don't really know how I'm going to build this up. I know it's awesome, I know it's possible, I don't know how I'm going to do it." But then I had the light bulb go off and I thought the way to do this is to create such good material, such good content that people have to share it, have to read it, have to like it. And we started doing that. One of the first things that really put us on the map uh, was, an, funny enough, an article called Hacking Elance, right? True story, where um, I took this, this all-inclusive guide that I'd used to conquer these different freelancing sites that was supposed to be just an internal guide for my team members that, was, that were working with me, but it had all my best strategies for getting and attracting clients. And I, I went to my friends and I said, should I release this to the public? Should people have this? And my friends said, no, if you, if you release that, everyone will copy you and you'll lose your, your proprietary strategies. I said, that's what I need to hear. I'm releasing it. So I released it and it blew up and it got an entrepreneur in Time Magazine and Fortune and Forbes and brought me my first, you know, consistent eyeballs. And that's when the company took off. Whoa. Wow. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Love it. That was amazing. That was the best, that was hands down the best podcast we've ever done. I'm going to show your books right now. We're going to send them out. Uh, we're going to send links to them in the email and put them in the podcast description. We'll put them on YouTube. But so this is just like Wim Hof. When you see it happen in real life on the camera and you see things that actually work, simple techniques like the five-step apology. By the way, by the way, I didn't plan on, on doing that. I didn't know you were going to hack me and I didn't plan on doing that. And it's certainly not something that if you would have asked me beforehand, hey, you want to call your uncle and apologize on air? Fuck. You no, but so it's. You still have some more apologizing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I still got some more. Uh, but two great books. Just listen. Over over hundred thousand copies sold. Yeah, it's the top book on listing in the world. That's, that's amazing. Well, how many books on listing are there? That's right. Isn't that <laughs> because who listens? Who listens? Eighteen languages. Who listens? Eighteen yeah. languages. And talking to crazy, which is definitely something that we all need. Um, probably when talking to ourselves as well. Yeah, there's a big section for you. <laughs> so, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure. Let's do another one too. Um, and for all you guys that are watching out there, where where can people find out more about your work? Well, if you go to markgoulston.com, that's my thought leader page. Uh, if you go to 
Goulston Group, that's the creating gotta have it. I co-founded a site called Heartfelt Leadership. If you go there it's, and if you look at the videos under Be Inspired, they're videos of the kinds of leaders that the world needs. Something I'm also involved with is the POP protocol, which is taking off. POP stands for pullover protocol, and it's a training for uh, law enforcement and uh, civilians to de-escalate oh, our traffic stop. That. And, and I'll just give you a teaser, but go there, popprotocol.org, P-O-P protocol.org. And so the four-step thing and the, uh, the sheriff and law enforcement is chasing after us in a good way. Uh, African-American founders mm -hmm. love them. Uh, but the four steps to the POP protocol are stand for the acronym SAFE. It's, you need to have a, a simple title. Always catch the acronyms. So SAFE stands for, uh, and I'll figure this, inner city, blacks, we're not talking in the suburbs, but we're talking about where people get themselves killed. So cop pulls you over, it's dark, they're looking in your car, so you put on your dome light, and S is show your hands, palms up. Mm -hmm. And you can put them on the steering wheel, you can put them outside, uh, because uh, even though there is racial bias, they're trained to react to different movements. As long as it's dark and they don't know what's going on, uh, they're getting anxious, the cops. So show your hands. A is ask for permission. Uh, officer, my uh, license and registration is in my glove compartment, and I have a registered handgun there. Uh, here are my hands. I'm not moving them. Uh, what should I do? And then F is follow instructions. And then E is exchange respect. Yes, sir. Yes, officer. You don't want to mouth off and say, don't you have better things to do? Yeah, yeah, no, and no, we no, had no, a, no. we had this rap uh, rapper, Master P, did a great, uh, <laughs> he did a great PSA, and it is so heartfelt. I now, love Master P. And basically, he's, he's a wonderful man. If you look up uh, Master P Pop Protocol, you'll see it on YouTube. And he basically said, look, uh, I mean, it was so heartfelt. He said, look, take care of the racial thing the next day. Get the badge number, but get home safe. You know, just do this. Get home safe. Don't get yourself killed. And it is so filled with love and pain. So hope you'll check that out and check out popprotocol.org. If you have some connections into law enforcement near you, any introductions would be great. And uh, come find me. And, uh, and thanks for listening. All right, my friends, that wraps up this episode of The New Wave Entrepreneur. I'm so happy to have you. And trust me when I say that I enjoy making these episodes so much, and I hope that you enjoy listening to them. This was another throwback episode. We'll have some more of these for you uh, over the coming uh, weeks and months. Make sure you tap in with us. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. Uh, New Wave Entrepreneur. Dot com is the website where all of our future updates will be. If you haven't checked out the Peak Performance Workshop that's on sale, including early bird tickets with early bird prices and buddy passes, uh, that you can just go to newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash peak. That's it for you, my friends. The water is warm. The tide is rising. So jump on in. It's time to surf this new wave. I'm Daniel DiPiazza. Over and out. Peace. Peace.